from CJBT Productions, the team that brings you the Music Halls of Fame podcast, comes the Music History Today daily podcast, where we bring you a quick daily briefing of the musical events, births, and passings that happened on that particular day. So, if you love music and history, then please like, subscribe, and share the Music History Today daily podcast out every day on Spotify, Amazon Podcasts, Google, Apple, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcast from. The following is a CJBT Productions podcast. This is the Music Halls of Fame podcast, episode number three. This week, we honor the year 1988 and a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame class of 1988. We also look at the case for putting Rick Rubin into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And our Spotlight Museum is the Louis Armstrong House and Museum in Corona, Queens, New York. This podcast celebrates those who have been inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. We also look at the case for certain artists to be inducted into the hall who aren't there yet. Plus, every week we discuss a different musical hall of fame, a walk of fame, or a museum, and celebrate someone who's been inducted into them. Let's start with our main focus of the podcast, which is the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. The Hall Foundation was established on April 20, 1983. Former Atlantic Records chairman Amit Erdogan was the head of the foundation at the time. Three years later, a committee chose Cleveland, Ohio to be the site of the physical location for the museum over Detroit, New York City, Philadelphia, Memphis, and Cincinnati. I say physical location because members have been inducted into the hall since 1986 before the building was opened. Cleveland was chosen due to what DJ Alan Freed did to promote rock and roll, including mainstreaming the phrase rock and roll, which was originally black slang for sex, and for holding the first rock and roll concert, which only lasted a few minutes before police broke it up actually. Ground was broken for the building on June 7, 1993. It opened on September 1, 1995 at 1100 Rock and Roll Boulevard on the shore of Lake Erie. The hall gets over 400,000 visitors a year on average. The normal hours of operation are 10 a.m. to 5 p.m., except on Thursdays when they're open until 9 p.m. They're normally open later in the summer months. General admission at the moment is $30, children 12 and under are $20, college students, first responders, military members, and Northeast Ohio residents are $25, and kids 5 and under, Hall of Fame members, and Cleveland residents are free. ID is required to get all those discounts, by the way. Rockhall.com 
rockhall.com is their website. That's R-O-C-K-H-A-L-L dot C-O-M. As with all places these days, due to COVID restrictions, check with the website for updated information and hours. The criteria for being inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame was originally that, quote, artists have to have had released their first record 25 years earlier and have creative music whose originality, impact, and influence has changed the course of rock and roll, end quote. That interpretation has been updated in recent decades to include music that rock and roll influenced, like reggae, country, and hip-hop, and also youth culture that music has influenced and vice versa. That's why hip-hop artists have been inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, by the way. The different categories that people can be inducted for are, one, for musical excellence, which is for artists, musicians, songwriters, and producers who have had dramatic impact on music. Two, early influencers, artists whose music influence rock music and youth culture like jazz and blues. Three, the Amit Erdogan Award, which is named for famed record executive Amit Erdogan, and goes to a non-performer who has had an impact, like record executives and managers. There's also a category that inducts songs that have influenced music. Past winners have been The Trogs' is Wild Thing and Sham the Sham and the Pharaoh's classic song Wooly Bully. Of course, the most popular category is the performers category, which has everyone from Elvis to Tina Turner. The different nominating committees decide who will make the official ballots for that year. Then the ballots are sent to a thousand musicologists, executives, performers, and other experts. And the fans also get a chance to vote, with that vote usually being held on the hall's website. And from all that, the final inductees are then chosen. Now, with all that being said... Let us look at this week's honoree and the year that they were honored. The year was 1988. The yearly inflation rate in America was 4.08%. The Dow Jones Industrial Average closed out the year at 2,168. The Federal Reserve's interest rates for the year were 10.50%. Average cost of a new house was $91,600. The average cost for existing homes was exactly $1,000 less at $90,600. The average income per year was $24,450. The monthly rent, $420. Average price of a new car was $10,400. A gallon of gas would set you back 91 cents. A movie ticket was only $3.50. And a stamp was 24 cents. 
The Soviet Union started to show the first signs of collapse as Hungary decided to let its people travel back and forth to Western Europe. The wheels came completely off the Soviet Union bus a year later in 1989. The Iran-Contra scandal took center stage as Oliver North and John Poindexter were indicted in the funding of a clandestine war in El Salvador by exchanging weapons for hostages with Iran. Also, George H.W. Bush beat Michael Dukakis to become president of the United States. In front of Congress, a NASA scientist warned that global warming that was being caused by mankind had begun. The Iran-Iraq war ended. In Pakistan, Benazir Bhutto became the first female prime minister of a majority Islamic country. Years later, she would be assassinated. Pan Am Flight 103 exploded over Lockerbie, Scotland. Libyan dictator Muammar Gaddafi would later accept responsibility for the terrorist attack. Years later, he too would be assassinated. The space shuttle started flying again after a two-year suspension because of the 1986 Space Shuttle Challenger explosion. The Soyuz TM-5 rocket took people into space for the first time. An earthquake in Armenia killed over 60,000 people. Australia celebrated 200 years as a country. Also, crack cocaine began to devastate U.S. cities, and Prozac was introduced in 1988 as well. People who were born in 1988 include actors Emma Stone, King Bach, Rupert Grint, Claire Holt, Chris Wood, Melissa Benoist, Colton Haynes, Brenda Song, Nikki Reed, and Zoe Kravitz. Others include model Black China, basketball superstar Steph Curry, Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook, football player Russell Wilson, wrestler Brooke Hogan, and MMA fighter Conor McGregor. People who passed away in 1988 include car maker Enzo Ferrari, entrepreneur Chico Mendez, basketball player Pistol Pete Maravich, artist Jean-Michel Basquiat, and Romare Bearden, authors Peggy Parrish, John Clellan Holmes, Roger Hargreaves, John Myers, and Louis L'Amour. Also, poet Jessica Nelson North, football owner Art Rooney, football coach Bobby Dodd, cartoonist Charles Adams, philosopher Max Blank, comedians Joe Bessler and Kenneth Williams, physicist Richard Freeman, and Louis Walter Alvarez. Actors Alan Napier, John Carradine, Heather O'Rourke, Judith Barzi, Pavel Jurasic, Colleen Moore, Divine, Raj Kapoor, Anne Ramsey, Gert Fromby, Dawes Butler, Dwayne Jones, Roy Kinnear, and Florida Freebus, and wrestler Bruiser Brody. The Nobel Peace Prize went to the United Nations Peacekeeping Forces. The Earth was named Time Magazine's Planet of the Year instead of People of the Year. Time at that point was trying to bring attention to pollution on the planet. 
And John F. Kennedy Jr. was named People Magazine's Sexiest Man Alive, which was one of the few times that the sexiest man alive did not go to an actor. In technology, Steve Jobs' new computer company Next rolled out the Next Cube. Steve's former company, Apple, meanwhile, filed a copyright infringement lawsuit against Microsoft, which took seven years to resolve itself. Microsoft Office was first introduced in 1988. Hewlett-Packard released their first inkjet printer called the HP DeskJet. SanDisk, those guys who make computer memory chips, was founded. Creative Arts released the Sound Blaster computer sound card. VTech released the Laser 128 computer. The Mathematica computer language was created in 1988. And the Morris Worm computer virus was unleashed. The first transatlantic fiber optic cable was laid in 1988 and the U.S introduced the world to the stealth bomber. In video gaming, Coleco went bust and Activision was renamed to Mediagenic because that name rolls right off the tongue. Games that were released in 1988 included John Madden Football, Altered Beast, Assault, Bionic Commando, Super Mario Bros. 2 and 3, Zelda 2 in America, that game was actually already out in Japan by then, and Ninja Gaiden first came out in 1988. In books, Paolo Coelho released The Alchemist, Stephen R. Covey released the famous business book The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Stephen Hawking released A Brief History of Time, Robert Ludlum released The Icarus Agenda, Anne Rice released The Queen of the Damned. Tom Clancy released The Cardinal of the Kremlin. Thomas Harris released The Silence of the Lambs. James A. Michener released Alaska. Joseph Campbell released The Power of Myth. Roald Dahl released Matilda. Alan Moore released the graphic novel Batman The Killing Joke. Salman Rushdie published his book The Satanic Verses for which the Ayatollah Khomeini of Iran issued a fatwa, which is a declaration calling for Rushdie's death for writing what the Ayatollah deemed was blasphemous. The amount of money, by the way, offered for Rushdie's death was three million U.S. dollars. Khomeini himself would pass away on June 3, 1989. Salman Rushdie is, as of this recording, still alive. In sports, in football, after a 24-day strike that shortened the season by one game, the San Francisco 49ers won the Super Bowl, which was held in Miami, Florida. The halftime show was themed 1950s rock and roll. The performers were Elvis Presley impersonator Elvis Presto and also some dancers. Which sounds like a great Super Bowl halftime show. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the Miami Hurricanes won the NCAA football championship. The L.A. Dodgers won baseball's World Series. Kirk Gibson's famous game-winning home run was during that particular series. Chicago's Wrigley Field got lights, becoming the last baseball stadium to only play day games. The Calgary Flames won hockey's Stanley Cup. 
The big story in hockey, though, was the great one, Mr. Wayne Gretzky, getting traded from the Edmonton Oilers to the Los Angeles Kings. That trade, by the way, is credited with making hockey much more popular in the United States. In basketball, the Los Angeles Lakers won the NBA championship. Kansas won the NCAA men's championship, but then was put on probation the next season for rules violations. And Louisiana Tech won the NCAA women's championship. The Winter Olympics were held in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. The games were marred by a ticketing scandal due to Olympic insiders getting half of the public tickets. Famous events that happened during those Olympics were the Jamaican bobsled team and ski jumper Eddie the Eagle. The United States won the most medals with 118. And because at that time, both the Summer and Winter Olympics were held in the same year, the Summer Olympics were held in Seoul, South Korea. The games were boycotted by North Korea, Cuba, Ethiopia, and Nicaragua. The Olympics were most famous this time around for Canadian Ben Johnson winning the 100-meter sprint over American Carl Lewis, then testing positive for using performance-enhancing drugs and being stripped of his gold medal. Tennis became an Olympic sport again after being out of the Olympics for 64 years, and the Soviet Union won the most medals with 132. In auto racing, Artin Senna won the Formula One championship, Danny Sullivan won the IndyCar championship, and Bill Elliott won the NASCAR Winston Cup Series. In horse racing, Winning Colors won the Kentucky Derby, but Risen Star won the Preakness and the Belmont Stakes. Pedro Delgado won the Tour de France in 1988. In soccer, or football if you will, Liverpool won England's First Division League, which was what the Premier League was called back then. Real Madrid won Spain's La Liga. Monaco won France's League One. Milan won Italy's Serie A. And Werder Bremen won Germany's Bundesliga. In tennis, Mats Wielander won the Australian, French, and U.S. Open, while Stefan Edberg won Wimbledon. On the women's side... Steffi Graf won all four of the Grand Slam tournaments. In fact, in 1988 and also in 1989, Steffi Graf only lost one Grand Slam tournament. In golf, Sandy Lyle won the Masters. Curtis Strange won the U.S. Open. Seve Ballesteros won the British Open. And Jeff Sluman won the PGA Championship. On the women's side, Amy Alcott won the Nabisco Dinah Shore Tournament. Sherry Turner won the LPGA Championship. Lizolat Newman won the U.S. Women's Open. And Sandy Little won the Dumarier Classic. Baseball pitcher Oral Hershiser and track and field star Jackie Joyner-Kersey won the Associated Press Male and Female Sports Athletes of the Year awards that year, respectively. Other athletes who made news in 1988 were track and field runner Florence Griffith Joyner, otherwise known as Flojo, who won two gold medals at the Summer Olympics. 
Baseball player Jose Canseco had a 40 home run, 40 steal season. Oklahoma State running back Barry Sanders had a breakout season before becoming one of the greatest running backs of all time when he joined the NFL. Some teams who had a bad 1988 were the Baltimore Orioles in baseball and the NBA's Miami Heat, who both had record-setting losing streaks that year. CBS Football show commentator and gambling expert Jimmy the Greek Snyder said that black people were bred to be better athletes, among other stereotypical and racist things. Jimmy was fired. In film, 1988 was the year of Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Eddie Murphy and Arsenio Hall in Coming to America, Michael Keaton in Beetlejuice, Robin Williams in Good Morning Vietnam, Kevin Costner, Susan Sarandon, and Tim Robbins in Bull Durham, Michael Jackson in Moonwalker, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito in Twins, Tom Hanks in Big, Tom Cruise in Cocktail, Crocodile Dundee 2, Three Men and a Baby, Young Guns, A Fish Called Wanda, the anime classic Akira, Mississippi Burning, and the original Die Hard, which made every other action movie Die Hard in a fill-in-the-blank, boat, train, what have you. The most controversial movie of the year was Martin Scorsese's The Last Temptation of Christ, which was denounced by a lot of Christian groups for its portrayal of Jesus, including a dream sequence which had Jesus having sex with Mary Magdalene. 1988 was also the year that Dustin Hoffman was a very good driver, a very good driver, in the movie Rain Man. The movie was the biggest movie of the year and won the Oscar for Best Picture. Hoffman won for Best Actor and Barry Levinson won for Best Director. Jodie Foster won Best Actress for The Accused. Kevin Kline won Best Supporting Actor for A Fish Called Wanda. And Gina Davis won Best Supporting Actress for The Accidental Tourist. The Milagro Beanfield War won Best Original Film Score and Let the River Run by Carly Simon for the movie Working Girl won Best Original Song. Also, Pixar's movie Tin Toy became the first computer-animated movie to win an Oscar, taking home the award for Best Animated Short Film. In television, 1988 was the year that Shark Week on the Discovery Channel premiered. It was the year that The Wonder Years, Yo! MTV Raps, Murphy Brown, Roseanne, and Mystery Science Theater 3000 all premiered. It was also the year that The Facts of Life, Punky Brewster, Spencer for Hire, Magnum P.I., Cagney and Lacey, and St. Elsewhere all ended. Other top shows of the year were The Cosby Show, A Different World, Cheers, 60 Minutes, The Golden Girls, Murder, She Wrote, Empty Nest, and Anything But Love. At the Emmy Awards, Cheers won Best Comedy, and L.A. Law won Best Drama. In music, singer Sonny Bono became mayor of Palm Springs, California. Atlantic Records held a concert at Madison Square Garden in New York City. Motown Records was sold to MCA Records for $61 million. Elton John sold a lot of his memorabilia at an auction. 
Hairband mania was going strong, but a boy band named the New Kids on the Block were about to explode. Even actor Patrick Swayze scored a hit in 1988 with the song She's Like the Wind from the Dirty Dancing soundtrack. U2 released the documentary and album Rattle and Hum. Tone Loke had the hit Wild Thing, and Whitesnake had the hit power ballad Is This Love with the music video featuring the late great video vixen Tawny Katayan. Musical artists who were born in 1988 include Rihanna, Adele, Lizzo, Aquafina, Casey Musgraves, Billy Gilman, Vanessa Hudgens, Tyler Joseph, and Josh Dunn of 21 Pilots, Lil Dicky, Grimes, ASAP Rocky, Jesse J, Shanae Aiko, Big Sean, G Dragon, Haley Williams of Paramore, and James Arthur. Musical artists who passed away in 1988 include singers Roy Orbison and Andy Gibb, Sam Prater of Sam and Dave, singer Brooke Benton, steel guitarist Pete Drake, blues guitarist Roy Buchanan, Robert Calvert of Hawkwind, Tim Davis of the Steve Miller Band, opera singer Dennis Day, guitarist Cliff Gallup, Hillel Slovak of the Red Hot Chili Peppers, John Kuraluski of Styx, and singers Chet Baker and Nico. According to Billboard magazine, George Michael's Faith was the biggest selling album, followed by the Dirty Dancing soundtrack, Def Leppard's Hysteria, In Excess's Kick, Michael Jackson's Bad, Guns N' Roses' Appetite for Destruction, Debbie Gibson's Out of the Blue, Richard Marx's self-titled album, Tiffany's self-titled album, and Aerosmith's Permanent Vacation. Singles-wise, George Michael's Faith was the bestseller, followed by In Excess's Need You Tonight, George Harrison's Got My Mind Set on You, Rick Astley's Never Gonna Give You Up, Guns N' Roses' Sweet Child of Mine, Whitney Houston's So Emotional, Belinda Carlisle's Heaven is a Place on Earth, Tiffany's Could Have Been, Breathe's Hands to Heaven, and Steve Winwood's Roll With It. At the Grammy Awards, George Michael's Faith won Album of the Year, while Bobby McFerrin's hit song Don't Worry, Be Happy won Record and Song of the Year. Tracy Chapman, by the way, was the best new artist. At the Eurovision Singing Contest held in Dublin, Ireland, Celine Dion, yes, that Celine Dion, at that point representing Switzerland, won for the song Ne Partez Pas Sans Moi. If you're wondering how a French-Canadian singer ended up representing Switzerland in the contest, uh, so am I. At the Tony Awards, The Phantom of the Opera won Best Musical, and Anything Goes won Best Revival. At the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony, the hall inducted Motown Records executive Barry Gordy Jr. into the non-performers category. Woody Guthrie and Lead Belly were inducted into the early influencers category. And in the performers category, the hall inducted the Beatles, the Drifters, the Supremes, the Beach Boys, and this next artist. Mm-hmm. 
Robert Zimmerman grew up in Minnesota. From an early age, he was, like most kids, interested in music, so he picked up a guitar. His initial inspiration was Chuck Berry, and at a high school gig, Zimmerman was so loud that the principal cut off the mic. Zimmerman went to college but continued to play, and when he decided to relocate, he went east to New York City. And it was there where he found his calling and made his mark, first acoustically, then electrically. He met his biggest idol, Woody Guthrie, played a bunch of clubs and fell in with a bunch of performers who would all later become famous. Zimmerman's songs later became poetic legends about social injustice and the Vietnam War. Once he got his recording contract, there was no stopping him. He became a symbol of the American counterculture movement and dragged folk music into the mainstream. He is now an icon with multiple Grammy Awards, a Pulitzer Prize, and even a Nobel Prize for literature for his songwriting. In fact, he is known as one of the greatest songwriters of all time. Before he was an icon, though, he made this album. Zimmerman's self-titled debut album didn't do too well. In fact, it only sold 5,000 copies initially. On that album, he only had two original songs and did cover songs for the rest of it. For his second album, he wanted to write most of the songs. He had gotten quite political during this time due to his girlfriend, who he had moved in with. He wrote a lot about war and civil rights for this album. He put power to folk music, his words both poetic and very biting. He recorded the album in one year between April 1962 to April 1963. It was begun in New York, then went to London for a time before being finished in New York. And it was towards the end of the New York recording sessions that his infamous incident on The Ed Sullivan Show when he walked off the stage because the show wouldn't let him perform one of his songs took place. The album was released on May 27, 1963 and was a hit. It went to number 22 on the Billboard charts and even better overseas. It definitely did much better than his self-titled album, whose name was who you know him as now, the pride of Duluth, Minnesota, Mr. Bob Dylan. And the name of this particular album was the Free Wheelin' Bob Dylan. His second album had the now classic songs Masters of War, A Hard Rain's A Gonna Fall, and Blowing in the Wind. Bob is also famous for another event. On July 26, 1965, an event that was so destructive to the sanctity of life itself took place that it is still being talked about today. Women still cry. Men with long hair still smoke a joint before telling the dark, twisted tale of how Bob Dylan went electric at the Newport Folk Festival. Seriously, people, this was a huge deal back then, at least to the folk crowd. I'll explain. See, back in the early to mid-1960s, Dylan was huge. I'm not sure how to describe it in today's terms because there's no one quite like him these days. That's probably why he's still so revered to this day. And in the 1960s, folk music became all the rage. 
The group The Birds kind of kicked it into the mainstream when their cover of Dylan's song Mr. Tambourine Man broke through, but by then, Bob was already the king of folk music. That was helped in no small part to his performance at the Newport Folk Festival in 1964. He was introduced then by Ronnie Gilbert of the Weavers, who said, quote, And here he is. Take him. You know him. He's yours. End quote. Folk people apparently took that to heart. To them, Dylan was the Pied Piper. By the 1965 Newport Folk Festival, the crowd that proclaimed him as theirs was ready for their Lord and Savior to return. What his crowd didn't realize, though, at that time was that Dylan was going in a different direction. Only months earlier, he decided not to go with an acoustic sound, and instead, he embraced the electric guitar. He recorded the now-classic song Like a Rolling Stone only months earlier and released it only five days before his appearance at the festival, so really, the folk crowd wasn't ready for his new sound. So, how would they react? Well, uh, well, not well. In fact, hate doesn't even begin to describe their reaction. Bob went on stage, plugged in his guitar, and went into an electric version of his acoustic hit song, Maggie's Farm. The crowd went wild. And by wild, I mean they booed, screamed, and said some really not nice things to him that I'm not even going to bother to say on this podcast. One guy even famously called him Judas, to which Bob retorted, I don't believe you. You're a liar. Dylan was shocked by the reaction, but his decision was final. He continued playing and recording with the electric guitar and continued with his vision. It's not clear if his crowd ever forgave him for changing his style, but it really didn't matter. So, yeah, kids... Dylan going electric really was a big deal back in the day, and he did it at the Newport Folk Festival on July 25th, 1965. After that, Bob released classic albums Highway 61 Revisited and Blonde on Blonde. Then he got into a serious motorcycle accident in 1966, which put him into such a funk that he went into seclusion to recover, both mentally and physically. He went back to touring in 1974, became a Christian, and put out more award-winning albums, and of course is still at it to this very day. Presented for induction by Mr. Bruce Springsteen, because really, who else? Bob Dylan, inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, class of 1988. Today, we're going to make the case for putting Rick Rubin into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Now, to me, one of the biggest snubs from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame voters is to not have Rick in the hall. 
For starters, he co-founded the record label that brought hip-hop to the masses, Def Jam, along with Russell Simmons, who's also not nominated. Rick is so much more, though. He is also one of the most influential producers of the last 40 years. He's been nominated for 21 Grammy Awards, winning eight, including Album of the Year twice for the Dixie Chicks and Adele. He's been nominated for Producer of the Year at the Grammys five times, winning twice. Here is a list of the artists who he's either produced or executive produced with the vast majority of these albums whose hands he touched becoming big hits. LL Cool J, The Beastie Boys, Run DMC, Slayer, Public Enemy, The Cult, The Less Than Zero soundtrack, Danzig, Andrew Dice Clay, The Black Crows, The Ghetto Boys, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Johnny Cash, Sir Mix-a-Lot, Tom Petty, The Lords of Acid, Nine Inch Nails, ACDC, Donovan, System of a Down, Cheryl Crow, Melanie C., Rage Against the Machine, Eagle Eye Cherry, Macy Gray, Aerosmith, Audio Slave, Limp Biscuit, Jay-Z, Slipknot, Lil John and the East Side Boys, Weezer, Shakira, the Dixie Chicks, Justin Timberlake, U2, Linkin Park, Poison, Vanessa Carlton, Neil Diamond, Jacob Dylan, Metallica, Pete Yorn, Brandy Carlisle, Typo Negative, Josh Groban, Kid Rock, Adele, ZZ Top, Lana Del Rey, Black Sabbath, Kanye West, or Ye, as he likes to be called these days, Eminem, Lady Gaga, Ed Sheeran, Wu-Tang Clan, James Blake, Billy Corgan, and the Smashing Pumpkins. Seriously, what more do you need to know? Rick isn't eligible as a performer, so he can only get in in one of the other categories. Phil Spector's in as a producer, so it is possible for Rick to get in. Therefore, Rick Rubin should be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, in my opinion, as a non-performer. New York City has many museums that are devoted to just about everything. There's various science museums, art museums, and even a few music museums, including one that is devoted to hip-hop that is currently being built. The vast majority of these museums are on the island of Manhattan. The hip-hop museum that's currently under construction is in the Bronx, about a mile or so away from where hip-hop was born. In the borough of Queens stands a museum that is dedicated to an artist who most people, myself included, consider to be the greatest jazz artist of all time and who is a true pop icon of the 20th century. The Louis Armstrong House Museum is literally in the house where Louis and his wife Lucille Wilson lived from 1943 until his death in 1971. In 1976, the house was designated as a National Historic Landmark. In 1988, it became a New York City landmark. The house is now a museum and is located at 34-56 107th Street 
in Corona, Queens. Thursdays through Saturdays, guided tours are given of the museum and the house. They start at 11.30 a.m. and run every hour on Thursday and Friday and every half hour on Saturday. The last tour of the day starts at 3.30 p.m. Prices are $12 for adults. Seniors 65 and older, visitors with disabilities, active duty, military personnel, students, and children are $8, with valid ID, of course, and caregivers to the people with disabilities, children under 5, and museum members are free. All tickets, for the time being, need to be purchased online due to COVID issues that you're all familiar with by now. Check the museum's website for more information, updated hours, and regulations. The website is louisarmstronghouse.org. That's L-O-U-I-S-A-R-M-S-T-R-O-N-G-H-O-U-S-E dot O-R-G. As of right now, due to New York State regulations, there is a vaccine mandate to enter the museum, so proof of vaccination will be required and masks must be worn at all times. In 1928... Jazzmaster King Oliver was at the top of his game. He was selling out concerts in Chicago and making classic recordings with a top-notch band. On June 11th of that year, he recorded a pretty decent version of a song. Now, until 1924, King Oliver had a member of his band who was a pretty good cornet player. This member was a prodigy who studied under Oliver, but at a certain point, as we all know, a student has to move on. So, teacher and student amicably parted ways. Between 1924 and 1928, the student, Louis Armstrong, left Chicago and also switched instruments. He made a name for himself elsewhere. However, Louis decided to come back to Chicago for better opportunities. On June 22, 1928, Louis walked into a recording studio to record with one of his side project bands. The song he decided to record that day was that song that King Oliver recorded only a few weeks earlier. However, Louis didn't simply copy the song. He changed it up a little. For starters, he completely stripped the opening line down to one instrument, his. Then, he improvised that opening. Also, instead of putting any vocals to the songs, he did a new form of vocalizing called scat. The song became a big hit. Today, it is considered one of the greatest recordings of any genre and the greatest jazz recording ever made. It heralded jazz as being an art form, and on that day, the student became the master with the master song, no less. And even though both men would record the song many times over their careers, it's that trumpet player Louis Armstrong's version of that song, West End Blues, that is considered the classic. It is also part of the recordings that the National Recording Registry decided to make part of its first inductees when it put all of the recordings that Louis Armstrong made 
with his Hot 5 and Hot 7 bands between the years 1924 to 1928 into the National Recording Registry. You can find many items of Louis Armstrong's life at the Louis Armstrong House Museum, located in Corona, Queens, in New York City. And that is it for the Music Halls of Fame podcast, episode number three. Thanks for listening. Audio engineering and editing, video editing, writing, narration, basically everything having to do with this podcast is done by yours truly. You can find us on our website at cjbtproductions.com. Our podcast is on all of your favorite podcast providers, such as Apple Music, Google Podcasts, CastBox, Spotify, etc., all under Music History Today. If you would like to support this podcast, our Patreon can be found at patreon.com backslash music history today we are also on twitter at music history day and you can now find us on youtube don't forget to like subscribe and hit that notification bell anytime you want to know exactly what videos are dropped and when all of those links can be found in the show notes below thank you very very much for listening